1 through 10. And I was prepping, and I, was, and I told Ross and the other leaders, I said, guys, I, I can't preach on this whole thing. Let's split it up. So I'm going to do one week on the home, and then one week on work. <clears throat> and then as I've been digging deeper, now I'm splitting it up again. And so maybe next week we'll split it up again. But, um, so this week we're going to go over five through eight, and then next week we're going to go through nine and talk more about work. We're going to answer questions like, does my work matter? How can my work matter if it's explicitly not ministry or anything Christian? Is work just a means to able to live so that the rest of my time I can do what God really cares about? Or maybe you just work so that you could be a cog in the wheel so that I can do ministry. And you pay me lots of money, right? Maybe that's what it is. So all of us work at some level. And so I'm really excited about what this passage can do for our church and how God can use it. I'm really believing God is deeply going to shape our church with this passage, and I've been so excited to share it with you. So please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6 if you haven't. I'm going to be preaching primarily out of the New International Version, and for you visitors, it just seems to be a more understandable um, version for those especially who have not been part of the church before. So last time we gathered here, We talked about one through four and this idea that the way you submit to your parents actually is the way you're submitting to God. And so that same kind of theme is going to unpack into the rest of the chapter. And if you could just imagine the the context, the audience who were originally hearing this letter. This is a letter written to a church and they were gathering probably in a home and there was a mixed group. There was going to be people who were going to be rich, poor, slaves, free young, old, and so it's just a mixed bag. And so Paul has been addressing different kind of roles within a household and now kind of in the workplace, but that also overlapped with the household because that's, that's how it worked back then. And we're still actually answering the question. If, if you do have a Bible, you could flip quick, quickly to verse 15 in chapter 5. We're still looking at this idea, 15 through 18, this idea of what does it mean to be spirit-filled? In verse 18, chapter 5. Because one of the results of being full of God's Spirit is that you're going to submit to one another. In verse 21. And then so the the rest of the chapter in chapter 6 is unpacking how would you submit to different roles in your life. And so there's a certain order of how God makes things. And if you are truly filled with God's Spirit, you are going to have a joyful submission to these people. And so last week we talked about what does it look like to be a spirit-filled home? And now we're going to look like what is going to look like to be a spirit-filled workplace. So the driving question of this passage is this. For you who are now Christians, how should you serve your masters? Now, obviously masters doesn't really resonate with us. If you call your boss master, something is deeply wrong in this context now, right? But back then, this was very, very common. And I'm not going to address masters because that's verse 9. That's going to be next week. So just let you know. But let me help you understand the main point of this passage, what Paul's really getting at. It's this. Whether you are a slave or a master, do everything, everything with all of your heart unto the Lord. And regardless of your position in life, you will have to answer to the ultimate master. Okay, so that's like the big picture idea that Paul is getting at. And the real take-home point for us here is whatever you do, do it with all of your heart as if you're doing it for Christ. Because you are. So let's begin our passage. Verse 5. 
in the NIV, it's going to be on the screen, says this, slaves obey. And I want to stop right there because the moment I say slaves, we need to take a time out. Because this word is a very cringeworthy word, rightfully so. And we need to take a side and understand what is going on here. It's impossible, especially for us in the West, especially us in America, to read the word slave and not immediately think of the 1800s, right? We can't. We can't not think of it. And if you've been around enough, you've heard probably somebody say stuff like, hey, you know, the Bible actually supports slavery, Sam. And if you were around the 1850s or 60s, you may have heard a preacher in the South say something like this. You see right here, right here, it doesn't say slaves leave your masters or try to get slavery abolished. It says obey your masters. And so many, uh, sadly, many Southern preachers would actually use this passage itself to justify the institution of slavery. If you have an English Standard Version, what I trust a, a handful of you do, depending on your ver- when it came out, it's going to say the word bondservant. And the reason why they, they use the word bondservant instead of the original word for s- slave is because they didn't want us to import the baggage. And, and that is one of the challenges we have when we read this Bible because we're reading this Bible from our context, with our background, and what we tend to do, and this is what we do with anything we read, is we tend to import our context into this context. We've got to remember, this is a completely different context than our context. This was pre-transatlantic trade slave. And so we got to be careful to understand what the context Paul is speaking at. And I'm really going to be trying to address, why didn't Paul explicitly at this moment, what, what I would have loved if, if while he was teaching this, he just stopped and said, wait, wait, by the way, slaves, we're going to free you all. We're going to end slavery. Yeah, right. That's, that's what I would expect with my Western context. But we need to understand, first of all, the difference between slavery in America, um, in Europe, and slavery in this time. Okay, so there's going to be a slide up there with a bunch of stats that I want to explain to help kind of give us a picture of what, who was he speaking to at this time. Well, there was estimated about 660 million slaves which was about 30 to 40% of the population. This is a huge amount of people. Slaves were considered property. That was true. So there is going to be, as you go through this, there's going to be overlap and similarities, but there's more differences. Slaves could own property. They could even own other slaves. Slavery wasn't always a lifetime. Slaves could save money and buy their freedom by the age of 30. Many did. Slavery was not hear me, not based off of race or color of skin. And I just want to throw this out. This is, this is a real objection people bring. So I encourage you, really try to internalize and remember this because someone's going to bring this up and say, hey, baby, before you tell me about Jesus, man, I can't trust your Bible. I can't trust your Bible. Your Bible is so antiquated. and They, they don't care about, the, about these social issues. No, 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 the Bible deeply cares. So please take notes or, or you know, listen to the podcast or whatever. There was no social class like slave. Like, oh, you're just a slave. There, there was in some cases, but slaves actually transcended every single class. They, you had them from at the top level, third level in the Roman Empire, behind the emperor. Or you would have them as a menial slave in a home. And so they transcended all kind of different levels. So it wasn't kind of like, oh, the slave class. So that's something really important. Sometimes they held higher 
levels of authority than some of their masters and more education. People would sometimes even sell themselves into slavery to protect themselves if they were in a pickle. And something really important to say is that the life of a slave was only as bad as the master. If the master was generous and loving, you actually saw this in the Old Testament where sometimes a master would be so benevolent, so loving, so great that the slave, when they would finish, or the, it was more like indentured servitude, finish its course, they'd say, no, 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 I want to stay with you. You're amazing. I love being with you. So I, I hope to say all that not to justify slavery, but to help you understand the context of slavery. So now here's the big question. Why didn't Paul just straight up say, stop it? Well, there's one pastor, his name is Tim Keller. He once talked to his historian friend. And he was just telling his historian friend, man, it's so crazy how blind those people were. How could they let slavery go on? And what, what was wrong with those people? Right? Isn't that what you think? That's what I think. Right? That's what one generation from now is going to think about us. How could they be so blind about blank? And this is what his historian friend had to say. The average person looks at previous generation and asks, how could those people in the past ever put up with such a horrible thing? But historians, they look and think, why? Since every society in every culture in every century throughout all of human history has always accepted slavery in some form, Where in the world did the idea come from that it was wrong? Who would have ever thought that? You see the difference in thinking? Rather than thinking, how could they? We're so educated and we're so smart. How could they do that? The historian says, wait, why did they stop? What shifted? What cataclysmic mindset shift had to have happened? Well, so what's Paul trying to do? Well, first of all, we have to remember Paul is addressing a church house church. He's not dressing the government, so that's really important. The church was an empire, was part of an empire. It was part of the Roman Empire, so the Roman Empire didn't really do well with lobbying or marches. That's one thing to know. Another thing to know is that Paul's emphasis was trying to change the heart. Change the heart of the institution. Change the heart of the slave owner. See, if you just destroy an institution without addressing the heart, the same kind of heart that delights to subjugate another person and treat them like property will still remain. And it will manifest itself in another form. So the heart is what he was after. So you can see this in his shortest letter in Philemon. We're going to have two passages come up from Philemon. And what happened was there is a slave owner named Philemon. Philemon or Philemon? Well, what am I saying? I know Greek. <laughs> How do you say it? Philemon. Good night. Okay, I knew it. I was, I was saying it. I was like, someone made, me, made, made a weird face at me. All right. Um, and this guy, let's just not say his name. <laughs> he had a slave, Onesimus, who ran away and stole some stuff. And providentially, Paul ran into this guy, and the guy becomes a Christian. And Paul writes a letter to Philemon. Philemon, and sends it back to him with Onesimus. This is what he says to him. Verse 12, I am sending him. He's talking about Onesimus. Paul is saying, I'm sending Onesimus, who is my very heart, back to you. Verse 15 through 16, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. 
He is very dear to me, but even dear to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? Like, it's only beautiful if you truly understand the context. Like, this would be mind-blowing. This doesn't make sense. You don't talk about slaves like that. For us, we may, you know, oh, th- that makes total sense. No, no, no. It did not make sense for that situation. The only reason why the average American even thinks that it's not okay is because we have been influenced by the Christian worldview, even though people don't even know that. Paul is elevating Onesimus as a brother. Rather than saying, hey, um, Philemon, you need to uh, set him free. He's elevating him as a brother, which is even better. And now that can change all the dynamics of the relationship. You see what, see what he's doing? There's a famous Christmas carol that we sang during our Christmas service this year, O Holy Night. And it was originally written in in France, um, and then it was rewritten in America by a guy named John Sullivan Dwight. That's the version we know. But there's a line in it that most of us probably don't see very often. It goes like this. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love, and his gospel is peace. Change shall he break. For the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. Amen? We need to sing that. Well, that would be kind of strange to sing because of the slave part. But it's so beautiful because this was written in 1855. Who here knows when slavery was abolished in the States? 1865. There you go. Did you say 1865? That's, That's pretty good. And if you guys know history, who led the abolition of slavery? Christians did. Most historians would agree with that. See, Paul may have not outright prohibited the institution of slavery, but he did something better. Check out this quote from um, the late Pastor John Stott. The gospel immediately began, even in the first century, to undermine the institution. It lit a fuse which at long last led to the explosion which destroyed it. Isn't that beautiful? He had, a, he had bigger things in mind. But it's really important for me to address that slavery is still alive and well, sadly. Right? We, we can't talk about slavery as a past thing. There are estimated 40 million people in modern slavery around the world. You'll see a slide with some stats. 16 million people are in forced labor. 15 million are Forced in marriage, 5 million in forced sexual exploitation, and 4 million are forced labor imposed by state authorities. Slavery is alive and well. But I am confident that the same gospel that lit the fuse, that totally dismantled the transatlantic slave trade, is the same gospel that is going to tear down modern human trafficking. Amen? I so believe Christians are going to be the leaders in it. I know that lots of other people are going to join, but I know Christians are going to be part of it. And I'm so excited to see it and how much glory Jesus will get because he is the ultimate freedom fighter. More can be said about this, and I know I'm doing this huge long aside about slavery, but I I thought that was important for all of us to dive into. So now let's get back to our passage, the command for us, for slaves and us. As we go through this passage, keep in mind that this was originally spoken to slaves, not us. However, it applies to us. And so we want to keep, a mind, keep them in mind with an eye towards our own context. 
And it's also important to remember that no matter how bad your job situation is, how much you dislike your boss, how little you get paid and how much you deserve and so forth, you do not have it as bad as the original audience. Let's just remember that. Let me ask you guys a question. For those who are in a traditional workplace, what's the name of your boss? Just shout them out. Smoky Mike. Smoothie Mike. Anyone else? All right, Steve, great. All right, Smoky Mike and sm- Smoothie Mike. Smoothie Mike and Steve. Fantastic. All right. And you guys are right and you're also wrong, right? And, and I, you know, you guys kind of just played along with me because you know, you know what I'm trying to get at. Before we talk about anything else, the most important reality we need to establish is who you are working for. If you get this, everything shifts. Let's read Ephesians 6.5 again. It's on the screen in the NIV. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Over and over in this passage, Christ is mentioned. Look at every verse if you want to skim and check my word. Christ or Lord, over and over again. Christ is just blinking over and over again. He is the star of this passage. It's about him. Work is about Christ. I, I, I really appreciate Eugene Peterson's translation of this passage, his, his paraphrase. Check it out. Servants, respectfully obey your earthly masters, but always with an eye to obeying the real master, Christ. That's beautiful. No matter who you are or what you are doing, do it all as if you're doing it for Christ, your boss. This mindset shifts everything. And my big fear is that a lot of you who have been part of churches or have read the Bible have heard this, and you're going to be like, yeah, yeah, I know that. But you really don't know it because you don't live like it. Your attitude shows that you don't believe that Christ is truly your boss. And that is one of my big burdens, is not that you would just believe this truth, but that it would deeply penetrate into your being and that you would now work as if Christ is your boss. Let me ask you this. What if Jesus came to you in the flesh, a second coming before his final coming, to you in the flesh and said your name and said, listen, whatever your work is that you do, I want you to personally do it for me. Do that job. Raise that child for me. Work that trade job. Sell insurance. Help people teach at school, do real estate, and so forth. Let me ask you this. Would you work any differently? If Jesus, I'm serious, like, imagine this. Jesus in the flesh comes to you, and it's actually Jesus. It's not like a demon acting like Jesus. Like, it's actually Jesus. He comes to you, and he's like, listen, do this job for me. And even if it's a menial job, like making smoothies, who does like smoothies? Come on. Would you do, make those smoothies any different if Jesus asked you to do it? I don't know about you, but I bet this would be the best smoothie ever, right? Like everything you're peeling is perfect. Like you're going to give everything to it. And if you find your job a drag and menial and boring and demeaning, and you know that you have great you know, ambitions for your life, and this is nothing, this is just whatever, this mindset changes that too. Because no matter how menial or what a drag your job is, depending on who you're working for, adds great dignity, adds great value. 
So let's use Benjamin for example because he doesn't fear man really, so it's okay if I just pick on him. So Benjamin, if I was like, hey, Benjamin, what do you do? And he's like, well, I make smoothies. Okay, who do you make smoothies for? Oh, at a gym. Okay, it's cool, cool. Let's change it up. Hey, Benjamin, who do you make smoothies for? He's like, oh, uh, the president, right? And, and, and I realize that as I say the president, that's going to vastly differ how you feel about the president. <laughs> but, but let's say it was another president, okay? A, a one that's more neutral, neutral, okay? That, that no one has strong feelings about, just a neutral president, okay? You'd be like, oh, dang, you, you make smoothies for the president? You see how the shift of who he's making it for trans, transforms everything? And it adds dignity. It has value. No matter the job you do, provided it's not explicitly evil, right? Like, yeah, there's certain things that you guys clearly know. You can do it for Christ. Let me read this, another quote from John Stott. Is it possible for the housewife to cook as if Jesus Christ were going to eat it? Or to spring clean the house as if Jesus Christ were to be the honored guest? I'd say also men. Men can do that too, guys. It is possible for teachers to educate children, for doctors to treat patients and nurses to care for them, for solicitors to help clients, shop assistants to serve customers, accountants to audit books, and secretaries to type letters, as if in each case they were serving Jesus Christ. Can the same be said in relation to the masses of industrial workers with tedious routine machine minding to do and to miners who have to work underground? Surely, yes. No matter what your job is, no matter if you like it or not, you can do it for Jesus. And doing that for him, because you can change your boss. So you, you may not even have to transfer jobs, but you can change your boss. That changes everything, who you're working for. Now, what are four ways to serve Jesus in your workplace? Now, like I said last time we were here, whenever Paul says something, it usually implies that the opposite is the natural inclination of ourselves. So if he's going to say, serve people with respect and sincerity, the implication is that the natural tendency is for us to do what? To do it with disrespect and with insincerity. And so just keep that in mind. Number one, here are four ways that Paul unpacks, starting in verse 5, how to serve in a manner that is worthy of Christ. Number one, with respect, fear, and sincerity. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart. Now, if you look at the English Standard Version, it says this, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. That, that's a heavy word, right? Fear and trembling. I don't think he means that, you know, if you're bringing a tray, you're just like slopping the tea everywhere, right? You're just so scared as you're bringing it. But, but, but my sense when I read this passage, and if you follow every time that those two words couple together in the Bible, fear and trembling, it, it has a sense of deep reverence, deep care, deep love, deep respect, concern, and value. And this word sincere, I think we all know what it looks like and it feels like to receive a gift from someone who gave it insincerely, right? Uh, may, maybe a parent, you've seen your kids give a gift begrudgingly to someone else. Here, my mom told me, I mean, here, 
right? Like we all know what it feels like to receive an obligatory gift. And I remember one time my parents uh, growing up in a Korean home, they weren't used to giving gifts as surprises. And one time just crying. I was like, I want you guys to give me a gift for, um, surprise me. Surprise me. And they're like, all right, let's take you to the mall. I'm like, you're missing the point. I want you to do it with sincerity of heart. I didn't say that. But, I, but that's, you guys all know that desire, right? And so we serve, we work in a way that is sincere. It's authentic. We truly care. We're not faking it. Can you imagine the uproar of those who first listened to this passage? Slaves, just flipping tables. Are you kidding me? Paul, come here, man. You know, hop on your horse and get here. Let me tell you something about my boss, about my master. He does this. She does that. They're terrible. How could you say such a thing? Or maybe you think to me, oh, preacher, what do you know? You, you live a sheltered life. All you do is sit and you're reading your Bible all day, right? Like, how, how, you don't know how bad it is in my workplace and how terrible my boss is. How could you call us a, such a thing? And so here's the question. What do you do when your boss is bad? What do you do when the master's bad? Well, Peter actually kind of high-fives and tags in with Paul and says this in 1 Peter 2.18. Slaves in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. And again, more tables are flipped. See, just like the previous passage on honoring parents, God does not call us to respect or submit or honor based off of merit or skill, or likability. I don't know all the the details of your workplace, your parents, or anybody you have to submit to. I know there's complexities in everyone's situation, and I don't know the jokes that are going around at work, what people watch, what people do, the kind of cutthroat business that you are in, the kind of flirtation that goes around, the temptation that is rampant, the skimping on paperwork, all the different things that is going on in each one of your workplaces and environments, I don't know. But I do know this, is that throughout church history, God has sent his people into the darkest places and flipped those places upside down. That's what God does. and, And the worse the situation is, the better. He looks really awesome throughout it. Remember Joseph. Joseph goes into Egypt as a slave. And then he's in prison. And then, by the end of it, he's second in command in all of the world. Because remember, Egypt was the strongest world power at the time. He goes in as a slave in a completely pagan environment where they have no understanding of Yahweh, and yet he leaves as the second command and brings blessing to many nations. Like Jesus. Think about Daniel. Daniel goes to Babylon as the prisoner of war, and he is faithful, and the whole thing gets crazy quickly, and God blesses him, and he is faithful, and he does his job well, and he becomes second in command in all of Babylon. Babylon gets taken over by the Persians and uh, the media Persia, and, and then he becomes elevated also there. Everywhere he goes, he's flipping things upside down because of God's hand on his life. And notice, you guys have maybe heard the story of Daniel in the lion's den. <clears throat> Daniel uh, is, it's basically the king is tricked, Darius is tricked to put Daniel into this den because he's being gullible and dumb, asking everyone to pray to him for 30 days. And 
at the end of it, verse 20, he says this, Daniel 6.20. This is King Darius. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God. Okay, cool. Servant of the living God. Has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? You guys see what I emphasize? The servant of the living God. See, even though King Darius was the king and he was the greatest in the whole world, he knew who Daniel truly served. See, Daniel understood this way before Paul was alive and said this. That even though Daniel was serving King Darius and he was darn good at it, he was amazing at it, he had a real boss. And everyone knew who he was truly serving. And I wonder if the same could be said at your workplace. That although you work for the workplace and you have a boss, that everyone knows who you're truly serving. John Calvin says this. I thought it, was, it just struck me as, as very tender and sweet. However unworthy, however ungrateful or cruel their masters may be, God will accept their services as rendered to himself. So no matter how bad your boss is or how bad your mom or dad is or whatever your situation is, if you are doing it with all of your heart to the Lord with respect, fear, and sincerity, Jesus receives it as a gift to himself. Believe that. Jesus receives that. Now, it's important for me to clarify like I did the previous time we hear there are three biblical boundaries when you should not obey. Listen, you shouldn't always obey. These are three, re- wait, when, uh, three times when you shouldn't obey. This is the same goes with obeying parents or any authority in your life, a pastor or anybody. First, it's not something that's immoral. Okay? You see the Hebrew midwives in Exodus 1 would not obey the Egyptian masters and kill the baby boys. Here's another one. Not idolatrous. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who are in Daniel chapter 3, would not worship the emperor's statue, even though he was the authority. And number three, not suppressing the gospel. The apostles would not obey the instructions of the Sanhedrin council to stop preaching salvation through Christ in Acts chapter 4. And you know this line, you've heard it, shall we obey God or man? God wins, right, in that situation. Now here is a tricky thing. Most of you cannot share your faith openly at your job, right? You can't, like, when I worked at In-N-Out Burger, I'd be like, hey, welcome. Hey, do you know Jesus? Or do you have peace with God? Or, hey, where are you going to go when you die? Hey, that burger, if you eat too many of those, you're going to die soon. Like, you can't do that, right? You get fired. So the question is, can you be faithful in that situation? Should you, should being, is faithfulness to God sharing the gospel regardless of the consequences? Or is faithfulness to God somehow finding a way to share the gospel and not in those situations. And, and that is a tricky situation. What I'm about to say will not pacify and please everyone, but this is what I'm going to say. I would discourage you from openly sharing the gospel when you are on your job's clock, when you are on the, on the job. Unless the Holy Spirit is uniquely prompting you and saying, hey, Sam, I'll take care of the consequences. You, you open your mouth. You preach boldly right now. But for the most part, when the Holy Spirit is doing that, and hopefully we're open to that, we're asking God, open up doors, give me boldness, give me opportunities, and those who ask that the most will have more more of those opportunities. I think most of us need to find other ways to share the gospel. And so, to give you an example, when I worked at In-N-Out Burger in California, best burger place for that kind of category, I, um, I got to know the coworkers so well that I hosted hangouts at my home or 
uh, we did a bowling night, right? And I wasn't a big bowler, but like some of these people were. And so I used the platform of my relationships at work to meet up with people lots of time and share the gospel with them in a way that honored my employers. Also, at break time, it was free game, right? And I was able to share in different things like that. I, I would say that unless you're in a situation where you're prohibited from sharing ever, that you um, respect the boundaries that your employers place you unless you're explicitly commanded by the Spirit of God to break that for that time. If you want to talk with me about that, I know that's going to make some of you unhappy. Talk with me about that, all right? Now, let's talk about the second manner in which you should obey your master or obey or listen and serve your workplace. Number two, not with eye service. Eye service. What does that mean, eye service? Okay, well, look at verse six. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you. Look at the ESV. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers. And here the NLT. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. So this word eye service is basically this idea of, hey, don't serve just when they're watching you. Right? And we've all seen this situation at work, or maybe you've been that person. The boss comes, and all of a sudden, you're like, look busy. And everyone's, like, doing stuff, right? Like, stapling randomly, random things. Like, I don't know what I'm stapling, but, I, but it looks like I'm working, right? Because who, who's stapling when they're playing, right? So, like, we've all done that, maybe, if anyone's honest, done that. Or, or maybe if you're a kid, you're doing your homework, and then you're on your Facebook or whatever. Your, kid, your mom comes, you throw your phone, you're quickly doing work, right? We've all been in that situation where we're acting like we're doing something that we're not and we're looking for the eye. What well, Paul's saying, hey, hey, work with the mindset that Christ's eye is on you. He's always watching you. He's always there. Notice this line, will of God. Doing the will of God from your heart in verse 6. What is, this, what is the will of God here? It's not some mystical thing. It's the will of God is for you to obey your master with a sincere, respectful heart, and not with eye service. That's the will of God right here. If you want to please God right here, do the will of God. And what is His will? It is for you to do a good job and do it with all your heart. I look at the third manner, this word wholeheartedly, with all your heart, wholeheartedly. Verse 7, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. See, it's emphasized over and over again. The Lord, not people. Not your boss, the real boss, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. Serve wholeheartedly. What does this word mean, wholeheartedly? I think we all know. In the New, New Living Translation, it says, work with enthusiasm. In the message, it says, and work with a smile on your face, always keeping in mind that no matter who happens to be giving the orders, you are really serving God. We all know what this looks like. How do you, have you guys seen someone who's in love and how they work for that person they're in love? Maybe you've been that person or the recipient of that kind of love. And if you have read the Bible, you know that Jacob and Rachel is this really, really strange love triangle story with, um, with Leah. But there's a really sweet part of the story, okay? Genesis chapter 29, verse 20. So Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel, but his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days. We, we all know what it looks like when someone's working wholeheartedly. All of our heart. Fourth manner. Expectantly. Verse 8. Look at verse 8 with me. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, 
whether they are slave or free. Look at this phrase, whether they are slave or free. What Paul is doing here is totally equalizing anyone who's in a position of power and a position of not. He's totally equalizing. He's stripping any elitism. Anybody who thinks, oh, I'm, I'm well-to-do. I was born from a good family. Oh, I have money. No, no. He's like, everybody is going to be judged the same. God is not a respecter of persons. He does not show favoritism. And he's not impressed with titles. And what Paul's doing is totally just landing the plane. And so maybe at this point, uh, for a while, maybe masters who were lis- listening to this letter read in the original context, maybe they're like nudging their slaves. Hey, are you hearing this? you hearing this? And right here, this is where the slaves go, boom, right there. You're going to be judged just like me, master, right? Like it, he's totally leveling the plane that they're all going to be held accountable and all rewarded based on what they do to the same ultimate master. This line, the Lord will reward each one for their good. I don't think Paul right here is saying that if they work really hard and do all the things that he's saying, that they're going to be rewarded in this life. I think that if you do, you probably will. Can you imagine if everybody worked wholeheartedly with sincerity of heart, with respect and fear, what kind of opportunities and blessings that you will receive? I think a lot. But I think this reward is future. Because there are some people who do this and their life is going to be trash and it's going to be hard and it's going to be painful. But when I say that God will bless them in the future, when I first read this, I was like, wah, wah, like, oh man, future. But then I was thinking, isn't that so much better? Like, it's just better math. It's better investment sense. Would you rather be rewarded for a few years for good service or for a trillion? Well, what's the math? I mean, it's, it's a no-brainer. Would you rather be rewarded by a, a good or maybe he, even he was a, a lousy manager? Or do you want to be rewarded with the greatest treasure in the world, Christ himself, forever and ever and ever, and ever sitting at his table? Listen, you have a hidden paycheck. When you do your work as a partnership with God, you are putting money in heaven's bank, and you're going to receive that hidden paycheck one day. God wants you where you are. Please know that. And because you're doing it for him, you have great dignity. And because you're doing it for him and he wants you there, you have great destiny. God has you there for a purpose. And if you do it unto him, he's going to do great things. Now, what about those who here are self-employed or raising their kids at home? You're off the hook. No, every one of us, Everything you do, whether it's raising children or working on your music or whatever your job is, you still have the same boss. And either you're completing your work with, with respect, fear, sincerity, wholeheartedly into Jesus, or you're not. So let's sum it up real quick. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. It's a parallel passage, and I'm going to just read through it because I think it sums up really what was going on. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as a reward and that your master, and the master you are serving is Christ. 
Let me ask you this. If I were to go to your workplace and ask your employer, what words would you describe that employee? Would they use the words sincere, wholehearted, reverent, respectful? My employee is so respectful. Enter your name. My employee is so sincere. Enter your name. My blank is hardworking even when I'm not around, I hear. See, I want to say this. Dear Christian, outside of unusual circumstances, I want to say that you ought to be one of the greatest workers your job has ever seen. Now, there's limitations with talent and opportunity and things like that. But overall, when it comes to sheer attitude and hard work, you should be a legend when you leave that place. And I do understand that there are circumstances that are beyond that. But for most of us, I would say that you should reach that status, that they would say, that person, that person, they're one of the greatest workers. I heard about this one church in Portland, Oregon, which is very, you know, progressive and liberal and non-Christian like our context. And there's this pretty flaming progressive liberal lesbian boss who started employing some people from this one church. And she's totally not against, she's totally against Christ and Christianity and everything, but she literally said to the pastor she met one day randomly and says, oh, you're the pastor of the church? Send me everyone you got. I love when your people work for me, even though I can't stand what they believe, <laughs> right? What that, that would be amazing if our church was like that. Oh, Sam, send me some of your people. They're awesome. They outwork everyone. See, let, me, let me say a couple more things, why, why I believe this is the case. You have more reason to work you have more purpose and reason to work for than any of your, your co-workers because you're working for Jesus. And if they're not Christian, they don't have Jesus to work for. You have more power because you have the Holy Spirit than any of them. You have more support because you have the church. And most of them don't have anything like that. When I was 16, I got a new job, and I left the, the blessed soda shop, and I got a job at Johnny Carino's. And I don't know who taught me this, but I started to hear something like this, like, do it for Jesus. And by God's grace, I started to believe that, and I waited tables like everybody was Jesus. Not perfectly. There's days where I forgot. There's days where I was prejudiced, days that I was, you know, like, oh, you're not going to tip me. Right? But overall, more, than, more often than not, I served my tables like they were Jesus himself. And I came to work full of the Spirit. I worked wholeheartedly and I gave it my all. And you know what? I had opportunities to share gospel with almost everyone there over time. The Lord opened up the floodgates at my workplace. And I remember one hostess once saying to me, she said, Sam, you're like glowing right now. Like light comes from you. And listen, that's not me trying to humble brag. That's the Holy Spirit. That's God. And the same hand that was on Daniel in Babylon the same hand that's on me, the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, and the same Spirit that is in many of you who are following Jesus. All of you who are following Jesus. I want to be careful there. And so that was almost 15 years ago. And ever since there, every job I've gotten, I can say that even though I would have seasons where I totally forgot this mindset, I totally would just work for myself, totally work for money, totally not think about all this other stuff that we've been talking about. But more times than not, I kept that mindset, and God used Every job, powerfully, 
whether I was teaching chess to elementary school students or driving people around in Uber and Lyft, treating like my passengers are Jesus and I'm working for them. You may say this, Sam, I understand the words that are coming out of your mouth intellectually, but I can't do that. It doesn't mean anything to me. That's just, it's just words. Listen, having Jesus as your ultimate boss will only matter as much as Jesus matters to you. And so if you're hearing this and you're like, yeah, Jesus is my boss, that doesn't really matter, maybe Jesus doesn't matter that much to you. Maybe he's not that valuable to you. And if Jesus' opinion of you and his heart towards you is not the most important person in the world, then this sermon doesn't matter. Because if you miss who you're working for, it doesn't matter. All this is just slop. It doesn't matter. And so I just want to ask you, how much does his opinion matter to you? If he truly were here in the flesh and asked you to do this, would that, would that be the most exciting person to talk to you? Or would it be maybe some celebrity or someone in your field that you look up to or some sports star? Would Jesus be truly the one who said, man, if I could serve anyone, it would be Jesus? And if that's you, you, you can repent of that and you can come to Jesus and receive him and, and he will receive you. Also, maybe, maybe you are a Christian and Jesus is the most important, but you struggle and you fail like I do. And, and, and you're feeling a sense of, man, I'm not like that at work. I don't think about my workplace like that. Let me remind you that even though you failed, Jesus has never failed. He was perfect. And because he was perfect and because you're trusting in him, you have his righteousness. And so God is not have this low grade, you shouldn't have this low grade sense of guilt that God's just always displeased. You have his righteousness and his pleasure is towards you, even the days that you screw up. He is pleased with you. His hand is upon you. He's, he loves you if you are truly trusting him. And he has given you a spirit to empower you. And he has given you promises that you could take to the bank. Even if your life stinks right now and your job stinks right now, you will be rewarded in heaven with a greater feast, a greater reward, a greater retirement than anything you can imagine, dream of on this earth. And if you feel outmatched and outnumbered at work, remember you have a DNA group. That's one of the reasons why I have DNA groups, to support you and strengthen you. And if you don't know what a DNA group is, want to hear more about that, you're like, hey, I could use help with that. Come talk with us. So what should you do in light of all this that we've talked about? What's, what should you take away? Well, whatever you do, do it with all of your heart as if you're doing it for Christ. Because you are. But the question is, how are you going to do that? See, it's, this is not a matter of I'm either going to do it for Christ or not. You are doing it for Christ. The question is, how are you going to do it for Christ? Imagine, guys, what this would look like if every member at a church took this seriously. Imagine all the businesses that would be blessed, the schools, the neighborhoods that would just all have a glimpse of the kingdom of heaven everywhere in the Twin Cities as we do it with all of our hearts. And let me just address as I wrap up unbelievers in here. Anybody here who's not truly trusting Christ, Jesus really isn't Let's just be honest, he is not who you're crazy about. He is not your everything. He is not your treasure. He's just a side piece in your life to give you blessing and maybe get you to heaven and make your life better. If that is you, you are still a slave. We talked about slavery and how Paul tried to abolish it through the heart. You are a slave and a worse slave than anything that you can 
watch an Amistad or anything in the past, you are a slave to sin, and that is a slavery that is the worst. And unless Christ sets you free, you will always be a slave. You will never know true peace. You may have a, a moment, a blip of joy, of peace, and happiness, but it will be snuffed out because without Christ, you have nothing. And one day you will eventually face your maker. You will face the boss of the universe. You will give account for everything you've done, everything you've thought, everything you didn't do. And you will die for your sins and be eternally separated from him. And I do not want that to be the case for anybody in here. And I know that besides this group with about, what, 20 visitors we have, and like half our members aren't here, we have so many visitors, I don't know where you are with Jesus. I don't know if you're going to be with him if we're all to die right now. And it doesn't have to be that way. Look at Jesus, the ultimate worker, the ultimate slave, the ultimate servant. He left heaven's comforts and he came here. Jesus, the ultimate master, became a slave. And he lived his life as a servant, perfectly. As a, as a carpenter or a mason, can you imagine him? Everything this passage said, he probably he exemplified it perfectly. Always with a good heart, always with all of his mind and attitude. And he died as a criminal, though he never did such a thing. He never did anything wrong, and yet he died a death of a criminal, and now he is reigning in heaven. Jesus is reigning right now. He is alive, reigning in heaven. He's looking down at you right now. He's listening to this sermon. And he does not ask us to do anything in this passage that he did not do himself. He submitted himself to the Father. He gave himself with all of his heart. And what a Lord. What a Savior. Would you ever write a, a, a religion? Would you ever make up your own religion? And in your religion, you were the God and you would come down and you make, make yourself a slave. Who, who would ever think of such a thing? And so unbeliever, whoever here is not trusting Jesus, he's not truly your Savior, you can have him. You can have eternal peace. You can have life. You can have the greatest master who will always take care of you, always love you perfectly. You can have him. Just put your trust in him. Repent of your own control. Repent of being your own boss. And let him be your Lord, your Savior, and ultimate treasure. You can have him. And believer, listen. Work is a toil today. It's still hard. We work by the sweat of our brow. But one day, there's lots of evidence to suggest that when the new heavens, new earth come on the earth, there will still be work. But it will be joy. It will be only satisfying. It will not be a toil. It will be so great, so purposeful, full of joy. It's going to be so good. And no matter what kind of work you are doing right now in your life, no matter how menial or what place you are in life, you're going to finally get the reward of himself forever. That's the greatest thing Jesus offers us. You get him forever. And all that comes with him. Let's pray. Father, I so, I just feel as much as I want to talk and pray about the text and about how much I want our people to be workers unto you, God, I just feel so burdened that there's some people in here who don't know you. And the thing is, they don't know that they don't know you. They're blind to their states. Their ears are deaf, and I'm just begging you, open up their eyes Open up their ears so they may see their state and run to you. And I just beg of you for mercy upon them. And I beg of you that you would become more important in our life. And so the fact that you are our Lord in everything would matter more to us. And that our church would be a church where everything we do, whether we're changing diapers or we're working on Wall Street or we're selling insurance or helping someone, whatever we're doing, that we do it unto you with all of our hearts, Lord. Help us be that kind of people, Lord. And so, Lord, would you speak to us now?
Meet us now. In Jesus' name, amen.